I do deeply love and appreciate those two songs that Mark led us in before we talk about today's topic, because those two songs are very different in my memory of the people that I sang them with, the people that I've heard sing them, and how we sing them. And the first one, when the roll is called up yonder, I can remember just as clearly as day my grandmother and my great aunt singing that dear song. And I don't know why I particularly remember that song, but it was, maybe it was the word yonder. I just, yonder was such a word that just didn't, but I can just, in my mind's ear, I can as crystal clear hear them singing when the roll is called up yonder. And uh, <laughs> that song means so much to me because they've gone on, they've been called on the roll, and I look forward to seeing them again someday. I knew I wouldn't get through that. The second song, I sang with a, a group kind of like you, not you exactly, but a group like you. And we'd sing the days of Elijah over and over again, and I saw some of you. You put in the claps and the yous and the ahs and the, all of that, the way the kids sing it. And I remember singing that at Winterfest or on the bus or at teen camp, and, and each time... I don't know how Mike sings it with you, but each time we would sing it, the goal was to go higher. <laughs> and uh, eventually you got to the point where you just, it was physically impossible. I had to, would have to change genders to be able to sing as high, and that wasn't going to work. So it just, it was, it, but it was so much fun, and there was so much joy and enthusiasm, and it reminded me how important that is that you have a song too. Because no matter what you do in your life, the most important thing is that you are ready for what we're talking about today. And my grandmother and my great aunt and those who've gone on before us here at Northside, beloved parents and grandparents and relatives and friends who have gone on the last journey that we talk about today. We're in a series called Journey, and we've been talking about Jesus' journey from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, out of the tomb. And today we focus on that last journey that he made, and that last journey is going to be very similar to the very last journey. Before we jump into that, I want to remind you, because I did it last week because of Easter Sunday and we had so many guests and everything, but we've been doing these grace challenges. And so the, the grace challenge for this month is to be a blessing. And what I mean by that is it's sort of a throwback Sunday, I guess. <laughs> Think back to some ways in which you can bless other people. We did this last year with the Light of Life theme, and we've um, continued many of those works in a lot of ways. But what I want you to do this month is think about how you could return to maybe blessing, putting some food or some supplies in the Simple House container, or having your kids bring their spare change for the change bucket for the Simple House, or maybe going to volunteer at a carpenter place, uh, perhaps volunteering a Thursday evening or two during the month of April to babysit or to be a greeter or to just walk with hurting people. Um, there's... Uh, many good things that can be done and are done 
And I want to encourage and challenge you to take up the challenge this month, especially to work to be a blessing to someone else. It doesn't have to be the light of life things. You could volunteer with a, a ministry. You could write a check to missions. You could do many things. You could talk to Mark Yakely and say, I want to I bless the ministry. Tell me some, some ones that need some help or that need some talent or that need some whatever. And how can I help them? So that's the challenge for this month. I hope that you will do it. And in the spirit of not letting the left hand know what the right hand's doing, I, I don't need you to report back to me at all. I just want Northside to do uh, very much what Northside has always done, to do good and to, to love God with all your heart. As we focus today on the last journey, I want to tell you that this one will either be the best or worst journey you've ever experienced. The thing is, we do not know. We don't get to know when Jesus will return. If you'll turn with me in Matthew chapter 24, he actually talked about this <clears throat> when he was on earth. And the disciples had asked him two questions. The problem is that when we look at Matthew chapter 24, we mix up the fact that Jesus was answering two questions. And we get these two questions and these two answers mixed up and mixed together. I don't think they were meant to be. Look at Matthew 24, beginning in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples when, it, when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings, the, the buildings of the temple. Now, it wasn't as magnificent as Solomon's temple. It wasn't a pittance of what, what had been. But for their time, it was magnificent. It was awe-inspiring. It was one of those... Uh, um, there's somebody that you know here at church that's overseas, and they're, they're, getting, they're touristing, touring all of these 700, 800-year-old churches and cathedrals, and it's amazing. I mean, just you pictures that, that they're sharing... It's just, I can only imagine as they walk in, it's just, ah. Oh, I mean, that's, this is kind of the way the Jews felt about the temple. And so Jesus, they're asking Jesus about them, and they, he says this, Do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, uh, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, there's so much history there. That, I mean, it's just amazing, because what Jesus said was exactly true. Uh, when the Romans invaded the city in 70 AD and they laid siege to the city and they finally broke through the wall and they came through and not only did they were they so angry at the Jewish people for defying and trying to keep them out of the temple that when they finally did penetrate and break through into the temple grounds the, the command was given to take apart the temple to literally tear it down stone by stone and to break the stones into smaller stones and they were raked over until there was no remnant no peace left of its former glory. Exactly what Jesus said had happened just less than four decades later. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, this is a little Bible nerdy, so I need you to hang on here. You need to understand they're asking two questions here. When will this happen? When will the temple be destroyed? Which we know now by history that that would happen in 70 AD. I mean, it would happen while some of them were still alive 
their own students would be alive, that they could tell that, that, oh yes, Jesus reminded us that this would happen. And he gives them several specific warning signs about when that would happen and how it would happen. He goes on, verse 4 and following, to answer the first question. Watch out that no one deceives you, saying, I am the Christ, and many will deceive. And he goes on, you'll hear wars and rumors of wars. He says, because of the increase of the wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. He says, pray that it does not happen in winter. Pray that it will be terrible for pregnant and nursing women. Pray that the flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. And when you read through these things, you say, what does that have to do with the end of the world? And the answer to that is absolutely nothing. Because Jesus wasn't talking about the end of the world. But unfortunately, in modern religious teaching, when we talk about the end of the day, end of days, they mix up these two questions and these two very specific answers. Jesus is not talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the desecration and the destruction of the temple. Now, we go to verse 36. Because what we want is the answer to the second question Which is, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, why they asked those two questions together probably tells you a lot about how much they valued the temple. But they were two very different events. They had some similarities, but but here's the, the key. In the first question, the first answer, Jesus says there's some specific things. You're going to see some specific signs. And when you see these signs, get out of Jerusalem because it's time to go. And indeed, by history, we know that early Christian converts from Judaism were the the ones who survived the destruction of Rome because they listened to Jesus' instruction. Now, look what he says concerning the second question. Verse 36. But about that day, no one knows. About the day or the hour... Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. We do not know when he will return. But the fact is, we know that we are getting closer every single day. Now, I suppose it could have been true about the first thing, that they, you know, they were getting closer each day too. But that thing was to come to happen shortly. Why do I tell you all that? Because there's a lot of confusion about when Jesus is going to come. And a lot of confusion comes from the fact that they mix up the questions and the answers in Matthew 24. Jesus said concerning the last day, the final day, the end of time. I mean, you think about it. I, I actually really, really like the idea of the end of time. I will never be late again. You won't either. But since the be- almost since the beginning of time, people have been predicting the end of time. And when people predict the end of time, some people are so bold to even put it on billboards and give you specific dates. Here's what you've got to know. The only thing you got to know is that no one knows. No one knows. The only thing we do know is that we're closer now than we ever have been. We believe, according to Acts 1, 9 through 11, which is the verse that was read, that he will return just as he left. 
Uh, you get this picture in Acts chapter 1. I mean, the, the, here's the resurrected Jesus who's appeared to many witnesses. And they're with him and they want to be with him. Obviously, they don't want him to leave. And all of a sudden, he starts just getting taller. And they realize his feet have left the ground. And he gets higher and higher, and they're watching him. And they're, I mean, like they're maybe they're thinking he, we, he'll take us with him. You know, the, he will. Where are you going? What are we supposed to do now? I mean, I can imagine, only imagine, as they stare up, squinty-eyed, covering, just looking. Do you see him? I don't see him anymore. Is that a? Is that him or is? Oh no! And they're staring, and he's gone. Three years they've spent with him. And he's not there anymore. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that, staring intently at the sky, are men that they haven't met wearing very white clothes saying, Why are you staring at the sky? He'll be back. He'll be back just like he left. So I believe there's coming a day. A beautiful, glorious, frightful day. When a lot of people... Those who know Jesus and those who don't will be staring intently at the sky, wondering who this is, wondering why they were not told, wondering in fear, calling out to the mountains, begging for the earth to swallow them. Because the fear and the majesty and the holiness and the glory of Jesus Christ will be revealed and we will see him in his glory we long for that day, whenever it may be. Turn in the scriptures to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The scriptures are very clear about parts of that day. Though we're not told, of course, when it will be. But we're given some clues. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself... For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I, I don't know what that's going to be like. I've been to a lot of funerals where I put people in the ground. But the scriptures say there's coming a day when those who are in Christ will come back. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul says there's coming a day when you, like Jesus, if you're still alive when he returns, will begin to, to rise up will begin to float up into the clouds with the Lord, with those who've passed on before. And where we go after that, only God knows. But we will be with the Lord forever. You ever get in a plane and travel somewhere, and as you're taking off, you're just sort of glued to the window? This usually happens, especially your first, second, third, fourth, fifth time of flying. As you watch the ground disappear, as you watch the buildings and the highways and the homes get smaller and smaller and smaller until you can just, all you see is one massive blotch. 
Paul says there's coming a day when you and I, if we're still alive when Jesus returns, will take off. Not in a plane, not on a drone, but somehow we will be with him forever, caught up. We know that, we believe that he will return just as he left, but his second trip will be very different from the first. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 puts it so beautifully and succinctly. May we not forget Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, oh, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting on him. That second trip is going to be a lot different than the first. For some, it will be a day of joy and rejoicing and glory and reunion and excitement and thrill. But for some, it will be a day of dread. It will be a day of great fear. They didn't expect it. They weren't ready. They weren't told. Or when they were told, they mocked. They refused to believe. Ah, Christians, just a bunch of bigoted, hateful people believe in fairy tales from an ancient book. It is the last great promise, of course. The last unfulfilled, the last promise yet to be filled is this one. That Christ will return. And when he does, it's not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. Two very different trips. Both important, but both very different. So then, until he returns, don't get ahead of me there. We need to do four things. First, be courageous. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, the night before he left on the first trip... He gathered around his closest friends. He shared a final meal. And he did what probably you and I would do if we knew when our last day on earth would be. We'd tell them the things that were most important to know. And he says this. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. So much good in that passage. I just want to focus on the first few words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Oh, there are probably a lot of things that erode faith. Perhaps it's aggressive atheism. You know, that college professor with an axe to grind. Perhaps uh, there was someone in your family or a friend who's sort of a thorn, and they erode your faith little by little. Perhaps it's troubles and trials and difficulties that you'll face. But can I tell you, in my humble opinion, nothing erodes faith. Nothing 
erodes faith more than fear. When you lie awake at night, tossing and turning and letting your mind entertain all of the worries, all of the possibilities, all of the things that could happen, and all the things you have to do to prevent those things from happening, what you are doing in that moment is sinning by pride. You're trying to take the reins from God, where Jesus himself said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, now think of what the apostles were going to face. They were going to face persecution. They would eventually be martyred for their faith in Christ. And Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. How could he say that? How could he say that? There's some of you sitting in the pews this morning going, how can God say that? How can he know? He doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't know what I'm carrying. And my answer to you is false. He absolutely does. He just needs you to have a bigger perspective than you have. He needs you to see farther than you can see. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Him. And when we do that, the church then transforms not into a fearful, protective, cowering group of people who are worried about the way that's going, but the righteous become as bold as a lion, changing the world and sharing Jesus and giving hope because they believe that He's coming back and that we can trust His Father and trust in Him. So may, if you are caught in a season of worry and weighed down, Please tear out the thorns and the weeds that are crowding out faith in your heart and begin to trust. Stop letting your heart be troubled. Number two, we've got to be holy. Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three, verses ten through twelve, if you want to follow along. Talking about the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. God is not concerned with saving the planet. He is very concerned with saving people. You remember, of course, that God destroyed the world once. I mean, he deluged it with water, with flood. I know some of you have children and you have the little Noah's Ark and the nursery and the animals and they're cute and sweet. But perhaps, perhaps you want to rethink that as a, as a children's nursery theme. Because there were many cute animals, but not all of them made it onto the Ark. There were animals and people and entire cities that endured death by drowning because of the wickedness of man, not because of the cruelness of God. And he washed it clean, destroying everything. And he promised never to do that again by water. 
But we're told by Peter himself that regardless of what kind of light bulb you use, regardless of if you recycle or not, regardless of what kind of car you drive, there's going to be some global warming. Some very intense, sincere, God is going to destroy it and will all burn up. Everything you've ever, the, the most beautiful moments you've ever had on this planet, someday will be in the center of a fire. He's going to melt the mountains. He's going to fill the canyons. All those wonderful national parks will just be very expensive and beautiful tinder in a moment. It promises. And Peter's not even concerned about that. What he says is, since the world will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to that day coming. One day we're going to leave this world, those of us who belong to Christ, and we're going to watch it all go up in a beautiful, glorious ball of fire. And there is going to be a new home. What that one looks like, we don't get to know that either. But may we not do anything less than be holy and reverent. You're living in sin? Stop. You're doing things that you know displease the Lord? Quit. You're filling your mind with trash and garbage? Stop. There's a day coming and you've got to be ready for it. You need to live holy and godly lives. Number three, may we remember home. This one kind of ties in with the first point. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior from there. Now, I don't know where you're from. I'm, I've mostly been born and raised in Wichita my entire life, but maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Maybe you're from a different state or perhaps a different country. But if you're a Christian, your citizenship is not on earth. Your citizenship, where you belong, where it's home, is heaven. Last couple of weeks, we've been working on planning our vacation, which the irony of planning a vacation has stressed me out so much. I stopped being stressed out about it because I realized that wherever we plan to go and however we plan to get there and whatever we plan to do while we're there, you know the truth is that entire thing is only a temporary journey. We may go to a great hotel and there may be a few problems here or there. I may not may like the management. I may learn to get around and function and, 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 and do okay while we're there. But I'm not going to make my home there because it's not my home. There are lots of us who get pretty comfortable in this world. We got a nice nest egg. We get the house paid off. We go do the things. I'm not, I'm not against any of those things. Don't misunderstand but I wish each of us sort of had one of those hotel keys. I was trying to get about 700 of those. And just to carry it around to remind you that this isn't home. Don't get too comfortable. Your citizenship belongs in a far greater place. Finally, in addition to being courageous, in addition to being holy, in addition to remembering home, may we not forget to keep encouraging one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. As you turn there, I want to ask you a question. 
when you came here today, maybe you've been here a couple of hours, maybe just an hour, uh, but whenever you got here until now, who have you encouraged since you've been here? And I don't mean like superfluous, how you doing? I mean, who have you encouraged? The word encouraged means literally to give courage to someone else. Have you given courage to anyone else today? He said, that, that, that is what the purpose, I mean, I know we meet together to worship, to study the apostles' teaching, to sing, to pray, to give, to remember what he did on the cross. But why we do that every week on the first day of the week is so that we might encourage one another. Hebrews 10.25. Hebrews 10.25 says, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, I was talking to Lucretia Smith this morning and Jerry has, he just had, has had a myriad of health struggles for a long time. Every time I see Jerry here, I'm encouraged he didn't have to say a single word, but I know what he's going through. I know the battle he's in, and he's still here. He encourages me to not give up. I know there are some who've gone through marital struggles, financial struggles, who've lost children, who are going through difficulties and strife, and they're here. That encourages me to not give up. Because you see, regardless, and I don't say that lightly, but regardless of what you're going through, there's a day coming when if you are in Jesus Christ, all of those struggles and difficulties and trials and temptations will fall and, and will grow faintly dim in the light of His glory and grace. There's a day coming. When there will be no more death. There's a day coming when you will not ever go to a funeral again. There's a day coming when you won't have to visit hospitals anymore because there won't be any more sickness. There's a day coming when Kleenex will go out of business because there will be no more tears. And if there are, there will only be happy ones. There's a day coming when you don't have to worry about people making fun of you for your faith because your faith will be real. Very real. There's a, a day coming. You don't have to worry. Because everything that you believed, everything that you, that you knew was here, that it was promised, will become a reality. In a moment, in a day, there's a day coming that we not forget. This morning, if you haven't encouraged anyone, let me encourage you as you leave to not leave without saying, there's a day coming. There's a day coming. And may we as a group remember that, but may we individually practice that and live like that. In a moment, you see, everything will change. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep. We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. No more sickness. 
No more allergies. Oh, praise the Lord for no more allergies. Thank you. Your body right now is in the continual process of wearing out. And someday, that'll be different. You'll be in a holy body. Someday, your vision that you correct with contacts and glasses will be perfect. Someday, there will be no more cancer. Someday, you will be changed. And it will be glorious. Now, my job as the preacher is to remind you of this. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't forget there's a great day coming. Because in a moment, we'll all be changed. In a moment, judgment will come. And the sheep will be separated from the goats. In a moment, rewards will be given. And the Lord will distribute all to those as they have done. In a moment, in a moment... The old will be gone. In Revelation 21, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he will be their God. And there will be, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We will all be changed. There will be a great day when everything that we know will no longer be the case. Everything we know will change. My question for you is this. Are you ready? Are you ready for the last journey? You can't make it on your own. And, and, and you understand that that you cannot go to heaven by your good works. It doesn't matter if you go to church 104 times a year. It really doesn't. That's not going to give you any more checks on your card. I want you to be here. I want you to encourage. But that's not what gets you there. You understand you could do all of the light of life. Uh, the, <laughs> can't even remember the theme. The growing with grace challenges. And that won't get you to heaven. You know, it won't get you to heaven to say, my mother and my father and my grandmother and my grandfather, they went here. It won't get you there. It won't even get you there to call him Lord. Jesus said there would be many that cry out, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. The only way to be ready for the journey is to hitchhike with Jesus, to tag along as he made the journey for you. And what makes the difference in eternity is did you know him and did he know you? When he separates the sheep from the goats, he'll say to those on his right, enter. I knew you. You did what I said. The very last verse of the Bible. You can turn there because it's on the last page. Right before the book of Maps. Second to the last verse, Revelation 22.20. Yes. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. If you are not ready to face the last day, to face the great judgment, then I beg you, I beg you, get ready. You need to be ready. And the only way to be ready is to be in Christ Jesus.
The only way to be in Christ Jesus is to do what he said. To believe in him, to trust him, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and to walk faithfully with him on the journey. If you're not ready for the great day, I beg you now, I beg you, I plead with you, please, be ready. There's a great day coming, and we're closer now than we've ever been. If you're not ready, come forward as together we stand and sing.